from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Well, hey, podcast listeners. Today, we are cross-pollinating, so we are on YouTube, and we are also on our regular podcast platform. So if you are a regular listener on a regular podcast platform, and you haven't checked out our YouTube channel, come check us out on YouTube. And if you're watching on YouTube and you haven't listened to our regular podcast, the Ask Christopher West Show, please check that out wherever you listen to podcasts. Exactly. Hi, podcast listeners. And my wife is here as usual. (laughs) I just got back from World Youth Day, as you know, Wendy. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for your sacrifices in letting me go. This is one of the things I experience in all of my travels. People will come up, and World Youth Day was no exception, and they'll say, please thank Wendy Mm. for her sacrifices in letting you come. So I just want to pass that along to you again, Wendy. That is so kind for people to think of us at home, me and our kids, and how that impacts us that you're traveling, because it sure does. And one of the great hopes I have of heaven is seeing your reward, my love, for all of your sacrifices, <laughs> truly. Seeing all the people that were reached because of your sacrifices. That will be a special treat to me. There were lots of podcast listeners at the events I did at World Youth Day. That's amazing. I asked the audience and lots of hands went up. That was always fun. And I want to apologize if you came to one of my events at World Youth Day and you were not able to get in. I am so sorry. We had a 2,000-seat venue or thereabouts, and apparently at, at every one of these events, they were turning hundreds of people away. Mm. And I heard some stories that the security guards were not so kind, and people had been waiting in the hot sun for hours oh, wow. to get in, and they got turned away. And I just want to say directly to anybody who waited in the hot sun, to come see me at World Youth Day, who, who was then turned away. I am so sorry. That, that is totally out of our control. We, we actually begged uh, the organizers, can we have a bigger venue? Because we had the same problem at the last two World Youth Days that we, we went to. There, we had to turn away hundreds, if not thousands of people at these events. So we, we pleaded, please give us a bigger venue. Mm. Uh, and that was all they could supply for us. So. It was out of our control. If there was something we could have done, we would have. Uh, I am so sorry for those who suffered. We actually got a few emails from people who were really put out by it, and it always pains me mm-hmm. um, when that happens. So, mea culpa, even though it wasn't our fault, there wasn't anything we could do about it, but I really feel the pain of those who were out in the hot sun and couldn't get in. And what were any highlights of the experience for you? Yeah, I, I guess... Uh, seeing the hunger for the theology of the body was mm-hmm. was really exciting to me. Um, you know, with with the change in culture over the last even six or seven years, and we hadn't done a World Youth Day since Madrid in 2011. Mm-hmm. And I did kind of wonder, you know, has the culture changed so much? Are, are the young people just so immersed in the cultural message that? They hear theology of the body and like, nah, I don't want, I don't want. No, no, it wasn't that at all. There was a, a real hunger for it, and that was really encouraging to me. And I did a, a priest event as well, uh, exclusively for priests, and we had probably 20 
25 different countries represented by the oh, priests, wow. and that, that was very encouraging. And the way they just drank in John Paul's vision of priesthood and how theology of the body applies to it was really, really encouraging to me. That's wonderful. Yeah. While you were there, I, I, to send you was difficult. You were tired, and I, I just like to help you to rest when you're tired. It was My hard to go summer has been so busy. So tired like that. But once you were there, I really did have that kind of consolation from the Lord of the hunger of the people, the need of the people, the um, just appropriateness of you going and sharing what you had to share with them. And it, yeah. it gave me a lot of peace in the midst of Thank the you, trial. Amy. So, yeah, praise God. I'm so grateful for yeah. that. Yeah. Do you have any updates for us about the TOB Institute? I do. Uh, we have only three cabins left on the cruise. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you are out there, you've heard Wendy and me talking about this cruise for many months now. Yeah. We are doing a pilgrimage in France up the Seine River. Uh, the theme is going to be uh, linking John Paul's Theology of the Body with St. Therese and the Little Way. There'll be teachings every day. And if you want to do the extension, we begin in Lourdes. Wendy and I will be hosting this beautiful one-of-a-kind pilgrimage retreat cruise. It's kind of hard to—it is a pilgrimage, but it's kind of hard, hard to call it a pilgrimage when you're on a cruise ship. <laughs> you think of pilgrimage and, you know— <laughs> traveling long distances, trudging through bad weather to get to the Holy Land or something. Yeah. Modern pilgrimages are a little, or shall we say, a lot more luxurious um, <laughs> than what pilgrims of yesterday used to deal with. But we are, we are down to, out of a, a boat that I hold, I think it has 80 cabins, and we have all of them reserved for our group. There are only three cabins left, so that could be three single people. It could be um, three couples. Um, but if you are out there and you've been wondering, should I go, we are getting down to the wire. I'm sure it will sell out, so maybe yeah. that's meant for you. Yeah, we're very excited. Check out the link below in the show notes if you're listening or in the description if you're watching on YouTube to learn more. Are you ready for a question from a patron? Let's do it. Okay. This question is from Natalie. Natalie, thank you for being a patron. So grateful for your support of this mission. Natalie says, hello, Christopher and Wendy. Thank you so much for your podcast. My favorite part is seeing the two of you interact and how obvious your deep love for each other is in the way you speak. Your marriage has been such a gift for me to witness. That's special. I recently became a mother. Congratulations, Natalie. That's awesome. My little girl is such a joy, and I really love her with my whole heart. I've always wanted to be a mother, and I'm truly happy being a stay-at-home mom to her. However, I feel in some ways it's reduced me. Like, mm. I'm now only a mother, and the rest of my personhood doesn't matter. Mm. Mm. I feel like I've become invisible to a lot of people. It's as if in their mind I've become this completely different creature, like I've somehow transformed from a woman to something completely other. I am a mother, and I know that it has changed me in some ways, but I feel as if people don't realize that I'm still me. I know that being a mother requires sacrifice and that I can join my hiddenness with the hiddenness of Christ, but I ache to be seen and known oh. for my whole person. Oh. 
What are ways that I can embrace my life as a mother while still honoring my whole person? Wow. I, I often comment on how insightful people's articulation of their very questions yeah. is. Mm -hmm. her, she's very insightful here, and she's in touch with her own heart. And I'm going to turn the floor over to you very quickly on this one, Wendy, because mm. I've never been a mother. And as never as one who's never been a mother, I don't feel entirely qualified to, to answer this question. I have some reflections I can share that maybe will be food for thought. But I've, I witnessed this in you as well. We mm -hmm. lived this, through this together. And a lot of things she's saying, I remember hearing you saying, especially when we had mm -hmm. little kids. So I'm sure you're going to be able to press into that much better than I will. But the word that came to me is all-encompassing. Like, and it's true of fatherhood too, but, but more so of motherhood of young children. I mean, just look at the way we're made. Look at the mm -hmm. theology of a woman's body versus the theology of a man's body. Uh, the theology of fatherhood and motherhood are obviously complementary, but they're different. Yeah. I, have, I, have, I have no breasts. I'm, I mean, I do have nipples. Uh, maybe we can cover why men have nipples on another podcast. Have we ever answered why men have nipples on a podcast? I don't think so. I, don't think, I think I've mentioned men's nipples before on a podcast. <laughs> Take that out of context. <laughs> I think I've mentioned men's nipples on a podcast before. I do have nipples, but I do, they do not produce milk. I have no mammary glands. Although, do men have tiny mammary glands? Yes. I'm getting off track here. You sure are. I sure am. That's a little biology. A little biology. I do. Yes, men do have little tiny <laughs> Just not remnants of mammary glands because we're all mammals after all. Uh, that's what makes us mammals, our mammary glands. I've never nursed, nursed a baby. Uh, I don't have that gift. Obviously, this is where the difference of fatherhood and motherhood comes in. But that all-encompassing nature of mothering a young child, mm -hmm. uh, I felt my role at the time was just to create the environment and enable the space for you to do what was required of you in those stages of motherhood, mm -hmm. which is an all-encompassing, nearly all-encompassing outpouring and attention on that child. Yeah. And it can build resentment. It can build uh, like a, not just resentment towards the child, but also resentment towards the husband who doesn't have the role of breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't have, I mean, I, I, I do remember the, the times when even past years or age of breastfeeding where the kids were just still wanted mom, still wanted mom, still wanted mom. I would do um, this thing I would call special time with our kids and our daughter Grace, not Grace, sorry, our daughter Beth, uh, she didn't want to do a special time with me, meaning I would take them out and take them away from you to give you some space, some breathing room. Yes. And to have time with them, to bond as yeah. father and child. A special time with Papa, we'd call it, with each of the kids. And Beth didn't want to even go away with just me until she was, what, three or something? Yeah. And she would say, I don't like men's. I like women's. <laughs> just as her way of saying, I want to be with mom. So there's that whole factor, too, which is present in a lot of kids. They just want to be with their mom. And despite even the dad's best efforts to mm -hmm. give mom a little break, there's that whatever mom bond thing going on right. that can create resentment not just towards the children but towards your husband who who's you know freer to go do other things and go to work and what have mm -hmm. you 
But here, I, I believe rather than resenting the difference, there's an opportunity to honor the difference and, and to, to show a, a proper reverence for what John Paul II would call the sincere gift of self. And that sincere gift of self is going to show itself differently between a mom and a dad towards a child. And that's where I don't feel qualified to speak of what the taxation on a mom. I've witnessed it, but I've never lived it because I'm not a mom. Mm -hmm. But I do have a profound reverence for it. And the dignity of the child and the demands of the child, which are taxing, also it speaks to the dignity of life and the outpouring that a mom goes through in a particular way, I think is reflective of the greatness of the dignity of the child. Uh, say whatever you want to say about that, Wendy, but I think what Natalie's really after is some of your own reflections on mm. what you experienced as a mom. And I loved her saying, "How I want to be seen uh, not just as a mom, but for other parts of my person which right. are true and valid, and she's absolutely right. Yeah. And I remember you struggling with that, and I don't yeah. know if I did a good job about honoring that in you, but um, what what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I, I actually was touched by um, a particular line that Natalie said when she said, I ache to be seen and known for my whole person. That expression of a really deep longing inside that, that's painful, even in the midst of a deeply rewarding relationship. That's the reason for this, you know, yeah. um, change in her life experience. So I, I can relate to that to a great degree. Um, and I don't know if I noticed it as much with my with our first child, I think for me, it kind of built up over years where uh, maybe as our story unfolded, I, I had less and less opportunities to interact with different people as we had more children. And so I can, I associate some of that sadness with even you know a little bit of a later time in my mothering rather than with our very first as i'm remembering it now my goodness it's been a while yeah um but i do remember that um and i think you know if we remember that all suffering can be fruitful it's finding how the lord is tilling our the soil of our hearts to bear that fruit um, or trusting in it sometimes when we can't even tell that there is something coming, sometimes we can see it better looking back, you know, than we can in the very time that's going on. I would recommend a couple of things to Natalie. One is for this ache and this concern to be a fuel for prayer, to pour it out into the Lord's heart, and also to share it with your husband, um, because that's that sharing of just your own kind of like almost empty space inside is increases your longing for the Lord and to be really who He wants you to be and to trust in His will for each season of your life. So um, I do encourage you to re regularly take that to prayer. And I'm going to say, for me, that meant 
a lot of times prayer time was a crying time for yeah, me, you yeah. know, because I knew that if I went to pray, sometimes I would re- be reluctant to even go pray, except that I know how, how much the Lord loves me, but to know that I was just going to, again, see some of my struggle and ache for some of these very things at that season of my life. Uh, you you make be. a great point there about just prayer is is just an honest relating to the Lord. Yeah. It's not saying a prayer right. and putting on a pious mask, but it's as the psalmist says, it's pouring out your heart yeah. to the Lord. That's yeah. what you're. That's the kind of prayer you're talking yeah. about for Natalie, pouring out your heart for the Lord, and to the Lord. I'll also say this: that different people have different approaches to parenting and to motherhood, and one of the things that um, can be that can vary from mother to mother, or sometimes it depends on on the two, the mother and child, and their personalities together. There there can be relationships where um, you can make it a point as a mother to not be anxious when your child is not with you. You know, whether you've developed relationship with your child and someone else in their life that you can trust that the child's going to be okay and allow yourself to be just not always, as you put it, all consumed with right, the child. Right. And that sometimes when I look back on my mothering, I wish I had been better at that, yeah, you know, better yeah. at helping my children to bond with others so that I could be more yes, peaceful yes. Um, in different roles and situations. I also think that there's kind of a gift. I can say that in retrospect now. I didn't feel like a gift at the time. But it kind of forced me to ask myself, what is this about my whole person that I want people to know? Yeah. You know, what? If they, if some, one of the things that struck me at a time in my life when I was feeling sad about this was that um, a couple people who knew us were asked by fans of yours, tell me about Wendy. What's Wendy like? This was more than one person. And they were kind of stumped. (laughs) 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 Couldn't think of anything to say about me. And These were people who knew you? Yeah, but like, oh, Wendy. (laughs) Well, that's not good. I know. Well, it didn't feel good. Yeah. But it it showed me how I how invisible I felt that people were curious. Oh, here's Christopher. Well, you know them both. What's Wendy like? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I, are you are you overstating that at all? Was I think they might have said she's a good cook, which just was a way of saying like she feeds me when I'm at their house. <laughs> how it sounded to me. It is nothing I aspired to. I don't want to be identified as a good cook. That's not my thing. So I think that just was painful. It's like a dart, but it also caused me to ask, well, you know, what is my personality? What is my whole person that's not being seen? So there was a growth for me in looking at that. I do remember times where it seemed you were so in that all-consuming role of motherhood where it felt like and I do remember some conversations we had, yeah. painful ones, where you felt like you, you didn't know who you were anymore. Yeah. Uh, and that was a wake-up call to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say a word to all the dads out there. I didn't live this perfectly, and it was kind of, in retrospect, 
and more with our later children. We have five, and it might, been, might have been more with three, four, and five that it became very important to me as your husband to make regular space where you knew Sunday afternoon was your day. I'm taking the kids for a, a big chunk of the day mm-hmm. so that you can pursue your own interests. You can read your favorite book or, or watch one of your favorite movies or just have time to pray or just yeah. be without the kids. And I remember also, you know, like just things in your personality that needed to be expressed that couldn't for a while, but like singing at, at mass, you're mm-hmm. a cantor. And that's very important to, to you as an expression of your person and just trying to make the time in my own schedule to be able to give time in your schedule to practice your music, to be able to sing at Sunday Mass. Uh, I would just say to all the dads, find a way to help your your wife pursue aspects of her personality that sometimes get put on the back burner during those real intense years of, Mm -hmm. of motherhood. My last comment to Natalie is just to know that one of the things that can be stripped away from us in motherhood is the feedback of people around us. So if you're working in an office or you have meetings with people, you you get a little feedback, whether it's verbal or just uh, nonverbal feedback, that you've done a good job. And our children, some days they are giving us that feedback with smiles and hugs, but Sometimes we're doing a good job and the Nobody's feedback we're getting you. is not positive. And there's a stripping that of that kind of reliance on other people showing me who I am by their responses mm, to mm. me. And there's a there's a letting go of that that's part of a, the sincere gift of self of mother to child. And to know that that is part of the spiritual journey that um you know is helping us to really get our identity from the Lord and not from the feedback of people around us. Um, not a once and done thing, not like you hear that idea and you yeah. just sw- flip a switch and there you are. But I, I do think that that's part of the journey of motherhood is if we are people of faith, if we really understand how utterly important it is to be who God meant us to be and to learn who He's calling us to be, then the stripping away of some of that feedback is can be fruitful in that process. As one who's witnessed it, that nearly all-encompassing outpouring, I just reverence, <laughs> reverence, reverence towards you, Wendy, reverence towards you, Natalie, reverence yeah. towards every mom out there. Lord, we, we lift up every mom out there, especially those with young children who are going through really difficult times in that nearly all-encompassing outpouring. Uh, please, please show them the fruits of that sincere gift of self. We place this intention in the womb of the Mm. Blessed Mother. Amen. Amen. Our next question is from a listener named Tom. Hello, Tom. My wife has had a radical hysterectomy because of cervical cancer. Mm. The cancer returned 16 months later. Oh, mercy. She then went through chemo and radiation. As a result of the damage from these procedures, it is not possible for her to have sexual intercourse. As a couple who believe in the theology of the body teachings, what are our options for sexual intimacy in our marriage? Mm. Bless you, Tom. Bless you, brother. I can only imagine 
the journey you guys have been on. It's not something that we have experienced ourselves. Um, let, me, uh, let me just lay out kind of the basic moral principle that is at stake here, and then maybe we can get a little more specific. Uh, the basic moral principle is that sexual climax is designed by God for the marital act. And it should not be pursued outside of the context of the marital act. So knowing ahead of time that your wife is physically unable to engage in the marital act, you shouldn't be pursuing sexual climax, yours or hers. That does not mean there shouldn't be tenderness between you and your wife, Tom. Uh, But you will have to know what are the limits. uh, You'll have to learn that. Uh, through your own dispositions, your own, you know, every person is different here. You can't just say, well, you can never touch there or you can never do that because people have different sensitivities, different sensibilities, different dispositions. But every couple needs to learn what are the kinds of affection I can show my spouse that will not bring the spouse to the point of no return Mm -hmm. in the realm of sexual climax. And we want to be far enough away from that point of no return that, that we're not pushing the envelope. Right. Uh, and again, couple to, different couples will be different. From, from one couple to another, there will be a, a wide variety of kinds of tenderness and affection that would be appropriate for that couple. But the principle, again, is sexual climax belongs to the marital embrace. Um, I don't know that there's more for me to say than that. What, mm-hmm. what, what would you add here, Wendy? I, I wonder if there's some tenderness I'm lacking. I'm being kind of clinical here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Be, I'll toss it to your heart, Wendy, because oh. you're always from that place of <laughs> tenderness. Mm. It is such a, a difficult situation to be in and to have journeyed through that suffering and the the fear and the pain that is associated with that, the illness and the treatment um, is a real, something that I think a couple would be needing to process and and grieving, especially because what it has meant for them and the loss of a very, very meaningful expression yes, of their yes. relationship. You are, they are both married and remain married for life regardless of this turn of events in their um, relationship as a married couple. And um, that, that vow that we make, you know, in sickness and in health, um, is something that we cannot f- possibly fully understand at the time that we make it on the altar. There's just life has to reveal it. We don't make that vow because we have the strength to keep it. We, right, we right. make it in the presence of the Lord, because we need Him to give us the strength. Amen. And I can say that one of the things that is essential for this couple is is conversation not only about sort of what type of affection is appropriate for them as a couple, but also about their grieving, about their longing, about, I mean, these are 
realities that only your spouse can understand. Yes, yes. And if you uh, think that you have to keep that inside, um, it may be an opportunity for Tom's wife to really learn how loved she is for herself. Amen. And if if she can really hear um, the places where that has this change has brought pain and grief to Tom without thinking that means he doesn't love her, you know, that's the triumph. That's the grace shining in a very secret place in the most private places of your marriage. The, the grace is reaching there when, when you can know, both of you, we are happy to be married to one another. We're grateful for God's grace. We want to suffer for one another. We don't have to hide the fact that there's suffering involved. Yes, yes. Um, <clears throat> if we can trust in that, the depth of love that really comes from the Holy Spirit who is our bond. And I would add that one of the real fuels for that deepening love under these circumstances is the eschatological hope. Mm. Uh, what, that's a big fancy phrase. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> eschaton, the, the end reality, the destiny. We're headed somewhere. Marriage has a destiny. Uh, if you're familiar with this podcast, you've heard me say it a hundred, if not 500 times, that the Bible begins with the marriage of man and woman, and it ends with the marriage of Christ and the church. And the whole purpose of the sacrament of marriage is to be a sign here on planet Earth that points us towards our eschatological destiny, the final reality, which yeah. is the eternal embrace of Christ and the church. And between here and there, St. Paul says, rightly so, it's daunting, but we have to look at it. Between here and there, between the reality of this life and the next, we must suffer the loss of all things. What? what? We must suffer the loss mm. of all things. And he says, I'm ready and willing to suffer the loss of all things in order to gain knowledge of Christ. Now look at that word, that biblical word, to gain knowledge. Mm -hmm. right? Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. That biblical knowledge of husband and wife, of the marital embrace, is a sacramental sign, a, a taste, a foreshadowing in this life of an eschatological destiny, our final destiny is to know God, to know God through mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that you would know the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ. And yes, that's that biblical knowledge that has all of the connotations of that marital union, that marital intimacy. Saint after saint after saint has spoken of their experience of intimacy with the Lord as a kind of nuptial knowing. Mm. Right? Teresa of Avila is one of the most famous examples, the ecstasy of St. Teresa of Avila, stammering to put words to it. She said, it's, it's, it's nuptial union with, with love eternal. Mm. Right? This is not just some pie-in-the-sky fantasy. This is our concrete hope that marriage has a goal, marriage has a destiny, the purpose of marriage in this life, 
the purpose of the marital embrace in this life is to prepare us for the eternal embrace mm. of Christ in the church, which is not sexual in the sense of genital union, but it's, it's the superabounding fulfillment of everything the sacrament of marriage was in the marital embrace. As John Paul II says, what awaits us on the other side in the marriage of the Lamb, it's quoting scripture, of course, it's beyond what eye can see, what ear has heard, what has even ever dawned on us, but it is not totally discontinuous or cut off from the experience of this life. We really and truly in the marital embrace authentically lived it's a taste, it's a little sign, a, a sacramental foreshadowing of the bliss and joy of the union that awaits us in eternity. And in this couple, they have lost that experience in this life, but they have in no way lost the hope of the ultimate destiny of every human being, which is that embrace that will last forever. Uh, you will know the joy of the Lord and that eternal embrace. And as Jesus says, that joy will not be taken from you. Mm. So whatever loss we suffer in this world, and we will suffer many until we can say with Paul, we will suffer the loss of all things. To what end? To the end of gaining the unsurpassed supreme good of knowing Jesus Christ. That's the trajectory of every marriage, and this couple has kind of in advance of what one might expect in the normal course of things suffered this great loss. But it also becomes an opportunity to gain Christ at a new level and to gain and live in that hope of the eschatological fulfillment of their marriage. Yes. And I, I know that we ourselves have had tastes of this in our relationship and we know other couples who have as well. So I I really like how you pointed them not only to deeper intimacy through this experience in their marriage, but deeper intimacy intimacy with the Lord. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Bless you, Tom, and your dear wife. Our next question is from a listener named Andy. Hello, Andy. Dear Christopher and Wendy, thank you so much for your podcast and sharing the beauty of Theology of the Body. It has deeply blessed my heart and soul. My husband and I have been married for almost three years. Oh, Andy's a woman. Andy with an I. It is Andy with an ah, I, yes. Very good. And ever since, we've been unable to conceive. It is my body that is not working properly, and we've gone through so many doctor's appointments and methods to try to cure my body that we've lost count already. Oh, bless you. I'm having such a hard time trying to love my body through all of this. Mm. I know we are doing all that we can and that God is with us every step of the way. I've even made peace with the possibility of never conceiving children. But I still pray for a miracle every day. However, I just can't help but feel betrayed by my body. Mm. I know these feelings don't come from the Lord, and mm. I wish I could transform them into hope. Mm. Do you have any advice on this? I know God wants me to love my body, but I just can't right now. Yeah. Also, if you could spare a Hail Mary for us and for the miracle we're hoping for, it would bless our hearts so much. Well, let's conclude our, our podcast today with a Hail Mary for Andy and yeah. her husband. Yes. Uh, Andy, I'll tell you the scripture that comes to my mind as you, you just so honestly and so vulnerably share what you're really going through. And I want to add, as we were saying earlier, Wendy, that 
prayer is not just saying prayers, but becoming a prayer and pouring out our hearts to yeah. the Lord. And Andy is doing a beautiful job of just being in touch with what she's really feeling. I would urge you, encourage you, Andy, go to the Lord in prayer and pour out the contents of your heart to Him, what's really going on. That, that feeling like you've been betrayed by your own body, pour that out to the Lord. There are, there are ways that we, we all experience sufferings in our body that can make us really angry at our bodies. I mean, I'm probably, I've probably talked about this before, but I hate, and you know I hate this, Wendy, vomiting is one of the worst experiences on planet Earth. I hate it, and I hate my body when it vomits, and yet... It's, it's part of the suffering of this world that is a mystery, and, and I have learned, even in the throes of the retching, I have learned to give that to Jesus, right? Uh, Jesus, it's <laughs> you, Jesus. You've heard, I mean, you've heard me. <laughs> give it all, give it all, give it all. But the scripture that comes to my mind from the sublime to the ridiculous, or from the ridiculous to the sublime, um, the scripture that comes to mind is Jesus talking with those who are accusing the blind man of having sinned. Uh, you are always looking for a reason. Why is this guy born blind? Well, yeah. it's his sin. Oh no, it's his parents' sin. Right. And Jesus' response is so surprising and so like jarringly uh, reorienting. Right. He says, no, it's not because of his sin or his parents' sin. It's to reveal the glory of God. What? What? Mm. What? We can say the same of Andy's malady, and it is a malady. Mm -hmm. Just like blindness, we know eyes are meant to see. And it, blindness causes such suffering precisely because eyes are meant to see. Something is wrong. There's a malady. Uh, the womb is designed by God to conceive new life. The marital embrace is designed by God to bring life into the world. And when, for whatever reason, that's not possible because of some malady, there is a real suffering there. Mm -hmm. and, and in all the work I've done over the years, all the talks I've given, all the times people have come up to me to share what's really going on in their lives, in their marriages. Uh, infertility has been, without a doubt, one of the most bitter sufferings that I've ever seen a couple endure. Mm -hmm. Why has the Lord allowed this? Somehow to reveal the glory of God. Mm. The Lord allows bitter trials, bitter sufferings, bodily maladies like blindness, like infertility, uh, like all kinds of things that we suffer bodily. He allows it to reveal God's glory. And we, get a, we see a sign of it in the resurrected body of Jesus. Because even in his resurrected body, he still has the wounds that he suffered in his crucifixion but now they shine with glory. I would invite you, Andy, into a, a prayerful meditation on the glorified wounds of Jesus. And there's the scripture that says, and, and it, it points to the glorification of this particular malady, more are the children of the barren woman mm. than of she who bore children. Mm. 
What? That's not just some nicety to pat somebody on the back who's having a really hard time with infertility and say, yeah, don't worry about it. You're going to have more children than, right. than the woman who had children. It's a deep and profound mystery of biblical revelation that takes us into uh, the tension of a paradox that is very hard to hold together. It's like two opposing ends of a magnet. You try to hold them together yeah. and they can't stay together. But right in the tension of holding this together, we discover the mystery and the logic of, of the divine. Uh, the, the, to be rich, you got to have poverty of spirit. To live, you got to die. Um, if, if, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life, you'll find it. All of these paradoxes yeah. of the divine mystery that take us into the very heart of God, we can add this one too. The barren woman will bear more children than if she who had a husband and bore children. There is in the suffering of the infertility, opened up to the Lord in prayer, there is a spiritual fertility, a spiritual fecundity that is, is more fertile than the five children that you and I bore, Wendy, physically. And indeed, our sufferings that we have opened to the Lord are fertile in a way that takes us to a, a new dimension of fertility. The most fertile nuptial embrace of the universe bore no biological children. It's the nuptial embrace of the cross. It's the marriage bed of the cross. Mm -hmm. The woman at the foot of the cross became the mother of all of the living through the, the mystical nuptials of the cross. And they are nuptials of suffering. They are nuptials of bleeding hearts. Christ's heart is pierced by a lance. And at that very moment, the prophecy of Simeon to Mary, a sword will pierce your heart also, is fulfilled. And it is in that suffering, it is in that, those bleeding hearts. If you see the, the back of a miraculous medal, You'll see the Sacred Heart and the Immaculate Heart with a sword going through both of them. Yeah. Well, that's a nuptial image. And, and, and if people are new to this idea and you're thinking, well, that's weird, that's his mother. What do you mean, nuptials between Jesus and Mary? That's his mother. The Baltimore Catechism says it best. In the flesh, she's always his mother, but in the spirit, she's the bride of Christ. We have to go beyond categories of blood here. You know, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who are my sisters? Who is my family? Jesus takes relationships out of the realm of blood, right? And in that mystical dimension, the woman at the foot of the cross is the bride. Christ is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. Mary's the symbol of the bride at the foot of the cross. And here she becomes the mother of all of Christ's beloved disciples. When Jesus says to her, woman, behold your son, the beloved disciple John represents all beloved disciples. Mary became the mother of billions I'm hearing Carl Sagan, billions and billions, right? <laughs> she became the mother of billions and billions of children at the foot of the cross. That's the fecundity we're talking about. That's the more are the children of the barren woman than of she who bore children. Dear Andy, in your sorrow, in that cry of your heart, may I be so bold to invite you to the foot of the cross, to be in that posture of the bride, where your, the piercing of your heart in your very infertility, allow that piercing to become a new kind of fertility, 
a new dimension of fertility. You will meet your spiritual children on the other side. You will meet the children that are in heaven because of your willingness to bear those sufferings. That's the spiritual economy of, of fertility. That's how it works. And it's not just a platitude. It's not just a patting on the back to try to ease the sufferings. No, it's in fact, it doesn't really ease the sufferings. In some way, it even intensifies them. But in the intensification of those sufferings is the fertility, is the fecundity open to the Lord. It's a powerful, powerful mystery. Uh, I can only show it, show reverence to it, uh, but I can also proclaim it and uphold it because I, I know it's real and I know it's true. Yeah. Did you want to add anything before we, we say it? The Hail Mary. For I her. do. I do want to add something because I I know, um, it's just something is is in my heart as I'm praying for Andy and her husband that is um, just this phrase that has meant so much to me. You don't have to be perfect in order to be loved, mm-hmm. and I just share that because it may even be. Like, why I'm on this podcast, because mm. I want to tell people that, because mm. I believe it so deeply. Preach it, Wendy, preach it. You don't have to be perfect in order to be loved. And the temptation I experience in my own mind and heart, when somebody's imperfection, including yours, my love, is troubling me. Wait is a minute. To, my imperfections trouble you? The temptation is... <laughs> To, mm, I don't even know how to put it into words, but to focus on that to a degree that can border on a rejection Oof. of the person. It's also true of my own heart yeah. and my own imperfections. And yeah. when they are troubling me, there is a temptation to reject myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I just have learned that truth so deeply that when I see that temptation, I can speak it. Sometimes I just say it out loud. I tell you, I have a lot of spiritual conversations while folding laundry in my basement. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I've been folding laundry and said out loud, you don't have to be perfect in order to be loved. Is that when you're folding my underwear? (laughs) No, not necessarily. (laughs) Is that the reminder? All all people in my life... I pray this for for myself as well. And I want to share that with Andy because I think, Andy, if you can, in your own heart, if you can imagine your body, mm-hmm. its hormonal systems, which as you've learned through this journey are complicated, its structures of reproduction, all of that, there's some imperfection there and mm-hmm. we don't know why. But if you can look at that and say to yourself, you don't have to be perfect in order to be loved, and give that permission, I do believe that that will bear great fruit. Because I experience that. Mm. It, it bears great fruit to take that truth in. And if that grace transforms your heart because you had to face it through striving to love your body, it will that may be the very means of bearing this fruit that the Lord awesome. wants you to bear. As you say it, Wendy, I just I feel a like a baptismal cleansing mm. 
uh, flowing out of your heart. It's reaching me, knowing you fold my underwear <laughs> and know my imperfections as evidenced in my underwear. <laughs> you, you know me. You know me, and, and to be the recipient of a love, the love you're witnessing to right now, I know it's real in your heart because I experience it from mm-hmm. you. And it has transformed my life. And you know it well, Wendy. I am, as my spiritual director, so well diagnosed years ago. I am a recovering perfectionist. And, and the perfectionist is the one who believes I'm not lovable until I get my SHIT together and get my act together and get my body together and whatever else. Um, and it's just a lie. It's a lie that comes from the pit of hell. We are loved, as you said, in all of our imperfections. And we're perfectly loved by God in Mm -hmm. all our imperfections. And that's what a saint is. A saint is not someone who's perfect. A saint is someone who knows he or she is perfectly loved in all of his or her imperfections. Lord, may we know it. May we know it in our bones that you love us in all our imperfections. And instead of our, our typical ending for our podcast today, why don't we just close the episode with a, a Hail Mary for, mm-hmm. for Andy and for her husband. Mm-hmm. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full, full of grace, grace, the Lord, the Lord is, with is with thee. thee. Blessed, Blessed art thou, thou among women, women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, womb Jesus. Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now, now and at, at the, the hour, hour of our death. death. Amen. Pray in a particular way, dear Blessed Mother, for Andy and her husband as they carry this cross, a cross that is painful but is supernaturally fertile. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you on the next one. Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. 